0: This is football. Daniel Jeremiah joins momentarily. I want to quickly get into the MVP debate. A couple stats that I found fascinating going into this weekend. First is via David Lombardi. 48% of Brock Purdy's passing yards are coming from yards after catch. That is less than each of the last three MVP winners. Aaron Rodgers, 52.7 in 2021, 52.2 the year before. 54% from Mahomes in 2022. And... I think that's a good way to contextualize the debate going forward. Debo Samuel had his best yards-after-catch percentage uh, performance against the Eagles on Sunday because their linebackers aren't very good, the play calling was really good, and there's just four guys on the Niners who know how to break tackles. Debo was on the show a couple weeks ago when he talked about the mentality that they have. I I did a long piece with George Kittle a couple of years ago when he first broke out where basically the mentality is – Like, don't step out of bounds, go straight through a guy, and good things will happen. Um, That is more unusual than you think. Like, I know that it sounds reductive to be like, oh, just don't get tackled. But like, literally, that is their philosophy. And they're big enough and strong enough and fast enough to live it. Purdy, at this point, is essentially second all time in adjusted yards per attempt behind only Aaron Rodgers in 2011. We went through on Sunday night. the the stats about how his four best games stack up with the four best games basically ever for a quarterback in a season. Um, So this is special stuff. So I'm going to be generous to the Brock Purdy discourse and say the fact that he's an MVP candidate, MVP favorite is not to me some sort of disgrace. It's not a travesty. I'm not going to say, oh, what does this award become? Like the award is just best quarterback uh, at this point and, and will be until further notice. Now, hopefully the further notice is this year. I was, I was giving Brock Purdy a compliment sandwich. This is an inflection point for the award. Because if Tyreek Hill doesn't gain serious momentum, then the award is functionally over as a non-quarterback award. I saw some people say, well, Calvin Johnson didn't get any buzz a decade ago, or over a decade ago, when he was on pace to have this sort of Tyreek Hill season. Well, that's bad, too. And that team was bad, by the way. But that's bad, too. You can say better things are possible on the MVP voting situation. And Tyreek Hill is on pace for the best season by a wide receiver since the merger. With his 17th game, he will shatter every single record. Crazy Legs Hirsch was ahead of him, 1951. And then the best season ever was 1961. So it wasn't even in the Super Bowl era that somebody like Tyreek Hill was playing at this high of a level. You can see it in the way he adjusts to deep balls. And deep balls, to me, are 50-50 quarterback and receiver. The way he adjusts. And, like, the, remember the screen grabs, even, like, in the Super Bowl, where it's, like, Tyreek Hill is five yards down the field, and you can't see anything, and it's like, oh, Mahomes turned this into a 50-yard completion. So much of that is the fact that Tyreek Hill, and I know we all joke about the Jamar Chase, you know, screw it. Jamar's down there somewhere, or whoever. Like, the, the Tyreek Hill thing is so special because you can just go as deep as you want and he will catch it. And that to me is the const- that, that, that to me defines value. And here's the point that I think makes him the most valuable player. If you're doing an expansion draft and you're saying and you and the Niners are going through who to who to who to protect. Where's Brock Purdy? Cuz I don't think it's number 1. And I do think it's number 1 with the Dolphins. And I do think that if you're going through it and if, if you weren't allowed to protect anybody, Tyreek Hill would go a hell of a lot higher than Brock Purdy. That is my general viewpoint on it. And with the way that they're playing, and it, it, is like it almost goes, goes into the, the college football most deserving versus best thing, where it, I don't think Tyreek Hill is the best player in football this year, but he is the most deserving. And I'm a resume guy. Brock Purdy is also one of the most deserving. That's what MVP is. It's not best. It's not eye test necessarily. It's resume. Otherwise, we give it to Mahomes every single year. Otherwise, we have more serious consideration for Miles Garrett in the first half of this season. More consideration for Micah Parsons. More consideration for T.J. Watt. We don't do best. We do most deserve it. And I think Tyreek Hill needs to be seriously in the conversation, or else this award is just best quarterback. And I would hate to see that. Here's Daniel Jeremiah. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesar Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. You keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code BET amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem, Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. four six seven three right, Daniel Jeremiah, Move the Sticks podcast, NFL Network star. He's in New York for the holiday season.
1: What's going on, buddy? I'm doing great, man. I, I owe you an apology because I pride myself on being early for everything. It's like a laughable joke uh, with my family. How I'm a guy that gets to the airport two hours early. And then, uh, lo and behold, I completely whiffed on our first engagement uh, that we had set up for this thing. So, uh, formal apology to you on that one.
0: It was worth the wait, frankly. We were able to get Breer. We got Travis Etienne. We got Emmett Smith. I mean, frankly, I don't know. I don't know if we upgraded. I don't know if we upgraded. I I,
1: I, I think you might have upgraded there, minus Breer. Uh, Minus Breer. Breer was a
0: huge, huge downgrade. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, I want to start with this because I've got a couple conversations off of it, and and this is a huge question. You can take it wherever you want. You were a scout. Now you evaluate guys for a media company. Your biggest scouting miss in your career, oh, either 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 uh, stage of it, and what you learned from it.
1: Oh yeah, I mean it, it's funny with this, and I'm sure a lot of people that have lived in this world would say the same thing. I can remember a thousand misses, and then like the hits. Like i have, I'll, uh, periodically I'll like go through lists in the past of like my sequences. Be like, okay, right, you're, you're good enough. You're smart enough. And doggone it. People like you, like you have to hunt out your mate, your hits because right. the misses never leave. Oh dude, I was in Philadelphia when we drafted Danny Watkins, like going to go down as one of the all time, you know, whiffs in the first round means he literally was going, he was fighting fires within, you know, within three years of being drafted yeah. in the first round, he was an older player. Um that was, you know, kind of the the concern. He's a little bit older. But man, he played against Vaughn Miller one of his last games there at Baylor um, and was outstanding. And I want to say he went to the senior bowl, had a great senior bowl as well. Um, but it turned out it wasn't his passion. He wasn't he wasn't a football guy. He was something he was good at. It was not something that he loved. Um and I think in that well, I know in that same draft we took Kelsey in like the sixth round. So you draft a Hall of Famer who should have been a first round pick in the sixth round. Uh, you take a guy in the first round who probably should have been a, a, an undrafted free agent when it was all said and done. So the lesson that you learn there, one guy, they're both talented in their own ways. One, one guy fully invested and the other one wasn't. So it, it a lot of the misses, Kev, over the years is just, you, you have to dig on that stuff, you know.
0: Is that, so obviously they're going to BS you in the meetings and say, I love football, it's all I want to do. They're so overcoached now. I've heard that a million times, especially in those meetings now, where it's like they know what the scouts are looking for and they know how to answer those questions. How could you tell that a Kelsey loves football and a Watkins didn't? Now looking back on a hindsight being twenty twenty,
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, I wasn't the area scout that went on Kelsey. I did him on a cross check, um, so I didn't have to go get all the background on him. I just kind of read what other guys had on him. But the the whole thing is it's – don't tell me show me so in other words you go to um, you, you go to the video guy you go to strength coach you get all that information about how they're investing their time it, it, it's one thing to say I'm passionate I'm all in well then what does your time reflect that I mean it's almost like the you know the old saying like show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities like where are you spending your money where are you spending your time um, and those are the things you try and dig on one of the questions um, that I love and it's I'm always on a quest to find the, the right questions for players I think a great one is tell me your routine. Like walk me through you you get the game ends on Saturday. Walk me through your week before you get to your next game. And you'll find out guys that have a plan. I don't care. There's no right plan or wrong plan, but they have a plan and they have a, you know, they they care. It shows you that they care.
0: That's fascinating. Um, What can CJ Stroud do that you didn't know he could do?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, Well, I knew he had the capabilities of, Doing everything he's done, I did not think that he'd be able to do it as consistently as, as he's done. Because there was a little bit of, even though the stats will look great, there was a little bit of up and down at Ohio State. I didn't think he was as twitchy as he's looked. He looks so light on his feet the way he's playing, got a little bounce to him. Um, so I think he's a little even more athletic. The Georgia game was kind of the one we all pointed to of him showing you he had that ability. But um that would probably be it i knew he was a gifted thrower um you know we said at the combine i said this is the most it was the most impressive combine throwing session that i've seen and not because i haven't seen guys throw harder throw farther nothing like that i'm talking he displayed every type of throw to total strangers with impeccable accuracy touch whatever the throw required if the throw required it with a certain velocity he provided it. if it provided a little bit of arc if you had to get it up and down Layer throws, whatever you want to call him, he did everything, and he made it look so easy. So the throwing stuff wasn't surprising to me. I think just how 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 twitchy and athletic he is, and the playmaking side that he's leaned into, that I I, I thought we might see glimpses of it. I did not think it would be this good, this early, this consistent.
0: You know, obviously. I feel like geography is destiny with quarterbacks. And you know people are talking now about Carolina, and it's like, well, CJ Schreit went to Carolina. He'd look a lot worse because there's no line there. There's no talent there. The head coach didn't seem that into it, and we'll put that all aside here. But I think all of this flows from the Tua discussion because I thought Tua showed flashes, especially in the RPO game his first couple of years. But what it took for him to actually succeed and become the quarterback, we thought, was a coach who believed in him, uh, talent around him, obviously, and a scheme that just fit him really well. And I'm curious, is there a quarterback, a young quarterback in this league? Doesn't have to be a rookie. Can be just a guy on his rookie contract. Could be one of those 2021 guys. Is there a quarterback where you say, darn, I'd really love to see him get the two-a treatment and get a great coach in there and weapons and a line, and he'd really be able to take off?
1: I think there's a bunch of them like that. And I would go to the, the part of the question. I'd take that back to Jared Goff. I thought that was the ultimate yeah the ultimate example. We saw what he was un- under Fisher and then McVeigh came in and it was like, oh my gosh, she's a totally different human being. Um, so this one, and I'm not saying I think that this would be a, a, a success, like I, I would put my, my mortgage on it, but I would be fascinated to just go back and take Zach Wilson and drop him into a different situation. Maybe it wouldn't work. Maybe there's some immaturity there. Maybe there's some um, there's kind of a lack of polish to his game that would have that would have shown up wherever he went, whoever he was with. But when I see that guy, you know, what he looks like now is somebody with absolutely no confidence on the most simple throws and somebody who I thought coming into the draft, you know, at least from a throwing standpoint, was as talented and as gifted as, as we would seen. So that would be one, just from a curiosity standpoint, I would love to have seen him with all the resources. And maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't, but I'd be really curious to find out.
0: If you're Robert Kraft, first of all, you wouldn't be on this podcast. You have a lot better arc behind you. That's for sure <laughs> if you're Robert Kraft. Um, you would not be you would not be uh, uh, working as hard as you do. But you have a decision to make on Bill Belichick. And the question is this. The question he has to ask himself is this. So let's assume the Patriots don't get better. And you saw in person the other day oh, the God. Patriots do not look like they're getting better. Would you trust Bill Belichick with a young quarterback? A young Caleb Williams, Drake May type quarterback
1: it's oh, that's a that's a tough one I, I just being in that stadium it was having been there in years past been there for playoff games it, it was so dead in that building I mean and it was bad weather and it was two teams without good records but there was no there was no life in that building whatsoever it felt like oh my gosh they need they need something fresh and something new and you can say okay well the defense is great now you just give uh, Belichick the you know, the young quarterback and, and uh, Bucky said on our podcast the other day, it'll be like the Popovich treatment, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, he's reinvigorated. And I remind him, I think the Spurs are three and 18. Yeah. <laughs> either here or there, But um, no, I it feels to me that you can it's an unbelievable run. He'll land. He's going to get another gig in two seconds yep. to offset. You'll want you won't have to pay him anything because he'll get he'll get all that money somewhere else. I think it should. It feels to me like it's a fresh start. It's a new quarterback, it's a new coach. Let's see if they can get that them go on this next decade's long uh run. Personally, uh that I would love to see an offensive-minded coach. I yep. I always use the phrase that like it's okay to be bad, it's okay to be boring, but please don't be both. And that's what <laughs> that has turned into.
0: Yeah, A 100%. Um Caleb Williams in particular, let's dive into this for a second. What kind of coach does he need?
1: I think um I think a coach that can be able to pull him into structure a little bit more and live with some of the growing pains, without uh, completely crushing his his ability to go out and do the special stuff that he does. I, if I was going to put a percentage on it, I would say this year I thought he was maybe 15 to 20 percent too much of that at USC. You know, it is it's it's special, but when you start then adding in the negative plays and the sacks and then some of the missed opportunities by bailing prematurely um, I think that needs to be reined in a little bit but you can't just you can't put your you know thumb on them and say okay no we're gonna live exclusively in this on schedule world um, I think it's a, it's somebody that has that ability to kind of pull them in I mean Andy reads the I mean that's the that's the gold standard His his ability to do that don't take away what makes you special but be able to just rein it in a little bit and obviously that's what did with Pat
0: I know that it's funny because we had this last year where coming into the the, the season, it was, okay, Bryce Young won CJ Stroud too. And then we had all these conversations and, oh, CJ Stroud failed his cognition to whatever. And then all of a sudden, guess what it is? Bryce Young won CJ Stroud too. I think we're going to go through a season where, and I've already seen this a couple of times, people say, oh, Drake Mays going to go nine or Caleb Williams is in the process we thought. Is it going to be Williams May one, two?
1: I think so. Um, And and neither guy had the year they they wanted to have when it was all said and done. But I also think you, you bet on talent and then you bet on, you know, what we were talking about early in terms of the wiring. Everything that I've told early in the process, and I'll get more, and I'll get a chance to visit with these guys myself. Um, the wiring seems to be really good, you know. So if you've got, if you've got the ability and then you also are, are invested and you're going to put in the work, I think those are the guys you have to bet on. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. There's nothing that I've heard. I know what they can do physically. I've seen that with my own eyes. I, I don't worry about them physically. And everything I've heard on the other stuff that would maybe prohibit you from making that decision, it, it, nothing's shown up. So I, I'd be shocked if that's not one too.
0: I was intrigued. I was looking at stats the other day. I'm actually going on Feinbaum in a couple hours, so I'm trying to know what I'm talking about on college football. But I was go- I was was I was looking at the stats and there are 16 players in the country who average over nine yards or per attempt. All of them made the, sorry, four of them made the playoffs. So the four Mm -hmm. quarterbacks are all really good and they can all move the ball down the field. Um, Is there a player who's kind of on that second rung, whether that's JJ McCarthy, whether that's Michael Penix, that you're really looking at as a, as a intriguing NFL option here. I
1: I want to do more on Penix. I watched three early games on him. um, And I'm early in the process. So I'll get a chance to really dig in and see everything um i I think my opinion on him is it's just going to be medical the ability is there and he can push it down the field um he's aggressive and confident i use the phrase uh i love the the scouting phrase like selectively aggressive like he's not reckless but when opportunities are there he doesn't flinch and he attacks um he can really let it rip so um he's one that i'm fascinated by but i think you know what it's two shoulders it's two knees um, that's going to be the the conversation on him is going to center around the medical stuff. I'm I'm pumped to watch him in the playoffs. So too, man, see how he does on that stage.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, what's more stressful. We alluded to this earlier. We're talking about the two stages of your career. What's more stressful missing when the public is holding you accountable or missing when the GM is holding you accountable. <laughs>
1: um, I would say, yeah, the GM is going to be more stressful <laughs> because that's, that's uh that's, that's food on the table. That's food on the table <laughs> pressure. That's different uh, than mentions. Like I can, I cannot check my mentions for a month uh, after a mock draft and be fine. Uh, so that's, a, that's, a, that's definitely a different level, but I always, I always give my buddies in the league a hard time. I said, you know, look, okay, you're a GM, you know, wow, your job's so hard. You only have to show your work on seven players yep. or 10 players a year. I got to show my work on 400 guys so, you know, people can call back and be like, oh, this guy was your 148th player and uh, and he ends up being an all-pro. And I'm like, yeah, well, I can tell you 10 teams that didn't even have him on their board. 100%. So you've got to 100%. show your work. But at the end of the day, look, it's it's not, I'm going to be back next year getting a chance to do the same thing. Um, and so it's definitely not the same pressure as being in a building.
0: I remember I was at a Cowboys camp and right after Dak had broken out. So this would be 2018, I think. Um, and Stephen Jones was giving one. I mean, if you've never been to a Cowboys camp, the Joneses are just constantly giving press conferences and you'll just be walking down the hallway and it's like, what is happening here? This is the Jones family <laughs> member and they're giving out all sorts of information. The coach isn't want out. It's unbelievable. Steven <laughs> was just sitting there talking and he said, uh, I don't even know what the question was, but he said, Oh, well, Connor cook was above our, uh, was above Dak on our board because he played in a pro-style offense. We really wanted Connor Cook. Mm-hmm. And I said to somebody, I was like, is this off the record? What's happening? Like, no, no, he, he said this before. And it's like, the only way that kind of stuff comes out is if you if you say it. And, but, but, Don't but ever and do someone, it. Someone called me later on when I made a big deal with this and said, if you saw all of our boards, you would think we're all idiots. Like the yeah. amount of time, like yeah. Connor Cook over Dak Prescott is child's play compared to some of these boards that never see the light of day. And as you said, if you show your work, it's it's a lot messier.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And I, 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 I laugh about it because uh, I, I have a firm philosophy and I'll show that with any GM that I talk to, never, ever give your evaluation yeah. or a ranking on a player you didn't select. You don't You don't need to do that. You're signing yourself up for trouble. Don't ever, ever do that. Um, so, and then you don't even get credit. You're like, well, we wanted this guy, but we got the the other guy. The other guy ends up being a hall of famer, but it's still with an asterisk. Well, you would have taken him if, if he was there. And people don't also know like some of the greatest players of all time, how, how freaking bummed out the people were that made the pick that the guy went, that they wanted went one pick before him. And it's like, oh, I guess we'll take this guy. And he goes on to be a hall of famer and they get lauded for having uh, nailed the evaluation.
0: Well, we just talked to Travis Etienne on, on Thursday, and I, I brought up when Urban Meyer said in the post-draft press conference he would rather have Kadarius Tony. It was the most unbelievable moment I've ever yeah. heard in a press yeah. conference. It's like, <laughs> well, first of all, don't say that because you no. you've got a different guy with a, with a, a vaguely different position but vaguely similar skill set. Also, Kadarius Tony stunk. Like the, yeah. the team wanted out of the facility within two years, so it's like mm-hmm. you always just end up looking. Never, at. Anyway, never
1: we, offer that up. It's you're volunteering no, for stress. Don't do that. Don't
0: don't ever do it. Um, you mentioned something the other day I thought was interesting about backup quarterbacks, and and. The, the lack of emphasis that a lot of teams have put on it. And you look at mm-hmm. someone like Gardner Minshew where the ceiling is high, higher than a lot of these mm-hmm. guys, but obviously the, the floor isn't the same as if you'd have a, a regular starter. I'm curious if you're running a team right now, you do what with the backup quarterback position? Is it more uh, veterans Is spending more money? And, and I guess baked into that is why, you know, is it really, you know, the CBA doesn't give these guys reps. They don't get developed enough. Like, is there a backup quarterback problem in the NFL DJ?
1: Well, I think it's going to change. I think this year, because of what we've seen, you're going to see a, a shift in strategy and there's going to be more priority placed on it and importance placed on it. I would say um, personally, I would want to invest a decent amount of money in a veteran who I know, I, I, I would use the phrase, I, I don't want my fans to enter in the gates of the stadium knowing you have no chance of winning the game. So does he give me, can he give me a fighting chance every week? And you can look around, we don't need to name names, but you know some teams are playing with guys you're like, you have no chance. So, and don't just, don't just, it's not good enough to say that he knows my offense, okay? Stop. You know, oh, he, he's been in the system. He, he can't play. If he can't also, play, Also, my, my,
0: my word's not yours, but like, oh, he knows the Hackett system. Oh, is that supposed to help? Ha- knowing yeah. the Hackett system should be, it should be a downgrade. A sport.
1: detriment instead of an asset. So, yeah, to me, I... I I believe, especially when you look at the cost of some, what that might cost you, like if you have, if your starting guard gets hurt, right, and he's an all-pro guard and he's out of the lineup, you can function. You can function. It sucks. You are losing a really good player. There's a drop-off in talent. You can overcome it. You can help him. You can do different things. If you if you have that steep of a drop-off at quarterback, your season is over. So that never made sense to me. You invest in, in, a, in a backup, first of all, a veteran who's got some experience, um, that I know gives me a fighting chance and then now because of the rule with being able to, to have the third guy and you know I think you can then on your third guy, if you want to gamble on a young uh, a, a rookie first contract player with some upside, um, you know have that third guy. but I would even argue on that because of the limited number of reps you're going to get, I would be I would be placing a big emphasis if you're going to take a quarterback in the you know third day, right anywhere in the mm-hmm. third day, get the guy who started 44 games. Because you're not going to be able to give him any reps or experience. Yep. You're not going to give him anything. So he's going to have to rely on his catalog of reps and experience he's had. I'd much rather have a guy who's laced them up in college and played 40 plus games than some toolsy, traitsy player that I'm hoping somehow magically he's going to get better reading off of a card for the next three <laughs> years. Like, that's not going to happen.
0: All right, let's get to badasses. It's uh, the most badass person you've ever been around in football. And it can be a couple guys. It can be, again, that could be in TV or probably when you're in an NFL facility. It could be a player. It yeah. could be a coach. could be a GM. doesn't matter. You have the floor. The most badass person you've been around in football.
1: Yeah, I'm Ray Lewis. It's, not even, it's nothing even close to it. Um, I, I My first year in the league, uh, I had at training camp as a first-year scout. I had to do the weights. So I had to, you know, weigh guys in as they're coming by. And so you're sitting there, picture it, you've got, you're sitting in a chair, the scale's right next to you. You've got your clipboard, you've got the whole roster, and it's like a check-in and check-out every day, what do they weigh? So they all come and get on the scale, get on the scale. And Brian Billick was adamant, like, nobody, nobody misses, like, you need to weigh everybody in. There's some, you know, fines are associated with some of these guys in terms of how they came in, all this kind of stuff. So everybody gets on the scale, except Ray Lewis comes walking by me. And uh, he just walks by me, and he goes 2:45, and I go, "Yep, 2:45, it is." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not going to fight that battle. He can wait. Whatever number <laughs> I'm putting down on this paper." Uh, can you tell? So you're a young guy. How old are you at this point? So uh, at that point, I'm, I'm, gosh. 23 maybe. Yeah. Okay. So you
0: come in and you're with the glory days, badass oh, Ravens. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. T- like take me through. I mean, that must've must been the most intimidating thing in the world to have all of those personalities um, just, just in the facility all the time.
1: It was such, um, it was such a, a, a blessing from a scouting standpoint because I always, you know, pe- people will get upset about uh, comparisons, right? Oh, that, that's the thief of joy. Like, don't compare anybody. Well, in scouting, it's very important. You have to be able to, to know what things compare to. And I'm not saying he's that player, but you can say, oh, he's a lesser version of this. Or as an athlete, he reminds me of this player. It just provides context. I got to be in a building as a first-year scout learning under Ozzy Newsome, who obviously, is, I think, in my opinion, is the best that's ever done that job. But I would go out to yeah. practice, and I would see Chris McAllister, who was a prototype corner. I would see ray lewis i would see uh todd heap i would see ed reed uh haloti nada terrell Suggs. we had prototypes at every position and and jamal lewis jonathan ogden i mean all the way down the line i was like oh that's what it's supposed to look like so to come in there that first that was the first thing that stood out to me was just how unbelievably talented the group was but i've never you know from just my measly college days to all the other you know the three teams i've been around in the nfl and haven't been around to a zillion practices I've never seen a, a group on defense practice in June like those guys yep. did, like just sprinting to the ball. And it was Ed, Ed, when Ed Reed's doing it and Ray Lewis is doing it, you think these young guys have any choice, but to practice like that, it was like the Super Bowl in mini camp. Um, so that, <laughs> was, uh, that was pretty cool to see just what the elite upper echelon looks like.
0: Two quick ones for you. You mentioned Ozzy. Yeah. When you go into NFL facilities and there, it's a good team, It doesn't take you long to figure out why they're a good team. Everything seems thought out. There's a different vibe. Nobody's, nobody's leaking stuff to you saying, Hey, you know, I really wanted that quarterback instead of that quarterback. Like you can figure it out. Ozzie Newsom was special. Why?
1: He's the best listener I've ever been around. Hmm. I I think that that comes with humility. um, And that's something that's rare. This guy's one of the best players in the history of the NFL. And you'd be sitting in a room and you'd have first and second year guys, you know, and personnel, and he would sit there and listen, take notes. Um, he didn't, he wasn't the first to inject and offer his opinion. Everybody in the room got to have a say. So, I mean, one of the jobs for early scouts is you're driving guys to physicals, you're driving, picking them up at the airport. We had to give a van grade and, and we had to tell them what we thought of the player in the time we spent with him in the van on the way to Johns Hopkins to get him as physical. And this all went, he collected all of this information before he made a decision. He didn't, make a decision and then search out facts to support whatever decision he'd arrived at. He was so patient and and, and humble and listened and he had, um, he has an unbelievable feel um, for players. Like they can be in a combine interview room where everybody thinks it's canned answers and you don't really learn anything. He could figure guys out. I mean, I'll give you a quick, a quick story on that. So we yeah. have uh, the year Michigan had a zillion defensive players um, mm-hmm. coming to the draft. This is like the Leon Hall, um all all those guys Uh, woodley was on that it was harris it was uh, prescott burgess tons of guys so everybody that would come in there he would ask them uh so who is the leader of the defense and they would all say david harris david harris david harris david harris Um, and then we got it's been a long time so i guess i can say it but it was prescott burgess came in and said uh uh who's the leader of the defense he goes i am so i'm sitting there thinking well there's no what do you say it's a he said she said type thing, right? You're not going to get to the bottom of this. And so Ozzy goes, so you're the leader of the defense. And he goes, yeah, he goes, well, all your teammates said, David Harris is the leader of the defense. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm the leader of the defense. He goes, did you guys ever watch tape as uh, you know, away from the facility? He goes, every Tuesday night we watch tape. And Ozzie goes, who held the clicker? He goes, David Harris goes, we're good. <laughs> the, oh my god! <laughs> it was so, but like, who thinks of that? Like who would have thought to go down that line of questioning? Now the hilarious part is David Harris goes really high in the draft. We took Prescott Burgess in the sixth round. So it all, it all ended up uh, working out for Prescott, but he, he knew how to get to that answer. Like who would have, who would have put that together? That who holds the clicker is going to tell you who the leader of the defense is.
0: Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah, um, it was a fun it- moment. It's it's funny because it's like obviously we talk about think about GMS we just think they're sitting there as super scouts and it's like they're also part detective they're also yeah. I mean like it, they're they're CEO like there's just so many different. Facets of that job. I was going to ask you the same question um, before we get you out of here about Howie. Um, obviously, one of the uh, probably the best GM in football now, yeah. understands how to build a roster. I mean, like you just, I, I did my, my open last week about just how you look at that roster and the way they spend their money. You talk about show me your checkbook, I'll show you your priorities. Like they don't miss on guys they pay. Um, and there's something really significant about that. Um, Howie is special. Why?
1: Howie is, uh, first of all, he uh, he's a combination of things. He's hungry and driven. Like he, he works his butt off. Um, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's incredibly bright, obviously. But the, the thing that if I was going to say the one word that makes him the best right now, what he's done is is creative. He's creative. He doesn't just look at it as even just look at the Avenue of acquiring talent. Like how many pe- people limit themselves to we're a draft team. We're a draft heavy team. Yeah. We sprinkle in free. Like, any avenue where you can add a player via via trade via via waivers whatever he's 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 done it and he kicks the tires on everything like you're not going to say um you bring him into the building like hey this guy's not going to be there like jalen carter's not going to be there when you pick like just don't whatever example out like oh well we're going to spend a ton of time with him because he might be there and then they end up being able to cash in those chips when they happen so no stone unturned um he loves the, he, you know, I think what people don't know is he really does love the the scouting process. He reads all your reports. He'll call you. He'll call you. The, you know, you'd be on the road. You might get a call from him, and he'll be asking you questions about, you know, I remember we drafted uh, uh, Kendricks uh, when uh, when I was there at a Cal, and uh, I had written a report, and I said this would be our second-round pick or something like that, and uh, this would be a perfect second-round pick. He called me like day after I sent my report and tell me about him. What, what do you like about him? Why would you say, you know, second round pick, da, 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 But he, he, he pays attention to everything. He's, he's very invested.
0: Amazing. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, this was amazing. Enjoy New York the rest of
1: the week. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Uh, you're the best man. I, I sent you this on, on the side and I do want to make sure I'm on the record of saying this. I, I love consuming uh, football content. And I love learning and I learn every time I see your show and you are the best interviewer. I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, lightly. Nobody, nobody listens better than you do. Nobody asks better questions than you do, man. Am I the Ozzie Newsome of of podcasting? You are, you are, you're, you are the, I will say you're the, you're the smartest football interviewer (laughs) and it's not close. So keep doing a great job, man. I love it. Is this all, all of this is just an apology
0: for missing last week's episode. You have to lie about my, my talent.
1: Well, I'm not going to answer that question. But, um,
0: <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate
1: you. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it.